Good evening. Last week we kind of had a fun title and talked about frogs, and tonight's a pretty vanilla type, type of uh, title, Moses and the Final Plagues. Don't, we're not going through all the plagues, but we're going to look at a few of those plagues this evening. And there are lots of things that are ironic in the story of Moses and the Hebrews being kept captive in Egypt, as well as throughout all the Old Testament. But there are several things tonight that I hope that you'll find important that they'll help your faith and they'll be more than just trivia, although at the very least they are some, some trivia points that you can get tonight, but they're things that will help us see God. Now, one of the things you may remember is that for centuries the Egyptian economy had been based on slavery. Do you remember that? You remember poor little Moses and the Pharaoh was going to kill them because you remember all the people were under Pharaoh's thumb? So for centuries, the Egyptian economy was based on slavery, but because of slavery, the Egyptian economy will be destroyed because they had, had captured or, or captivated in one sense the Hebrew people and taken the Hebrew people, God's holy nation, and said, you can't decide things for yourselves. You can't travel on your own. You can't work for yourself. Everything you do will be for us. They were slaves. And so for hundreds of years, everything worked out fine for the, for the Egyptians. Some of the Hebrews obviously had forgotten about the power of God. And now because of what they had done to God's people, now... Egypt's economy will be destroyed because of it. Well, you know that there were 10 plagues that God sent Abraham or sent Moses, got the wrong guy. God sent Moses along with Aaron to go and talk to Pharaoh. Moses, we've talked about in other weeks, who was so incredibly qualified and afraid to go and talk to the Pharaoh about letting God's people go and letting God's people finally be free so they could go to the promised land and establish their own nation. So there were 10 plagues, but the last three were especially severe for various reasons. So tonight we're going to read the Bible here several times in little kind of lengthy little passages. But in verses 13 through 17, the Bible says, So Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land, and all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind had brought the locusts, and the locusts came up over all the land of Egypt and settled on the whole country of Egypt. Such a dense swarm of locusts had never been seen before, nor will ever be again. They covered the face of the whole land so that the land was darkened. And they had all the plants in the land and all the fruit of the trees that the, that the hail had left. Not a green thing remained, neither tree nor plant of the field through all of the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh hastily called Moses and Aaron and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. Now therefore forgive my sin, please, only this once, and plead with the Lord your God only to remove this death from me. Well, at least for a moment, Pharaoh is overwhelmed with what's happening, at least for a tiny moment. One of the earlier plagues had been hail, and hail had destroyed the crops. And if you are from farm country, you understand what that's like. You get excited. The crops are coming up. You say, this year we're going ha to have a great harvest. And instead, the hail comes and everything's gone. That's what had happened. And so for whatever was left, 
here come in the locusts to destroy what's left. Locusts were often a sign of judgment. Often a sign of judgment on people. Now, it's not always that. Sometimes locusts and other insects and things just come not as a sign of that. Like, for example, right now in East Africa, or in the last few months, you may know about the terrible, what feels like to them, a plague of locusts that has come upon Uganda and Kenya, Eritrea, Somalia, and other parts of East Africa. That in just the last year, the last few months, they have had swarms of locusts that were 40 miles wide. Can you imagine a swarm of locusts? It would look like a huge cloud, wouldn't it? 40 miles wide. 360 billion insects have infested them. Now that sometimes happens in that part of the world, so they're a little bit used to it, not when it's that big. But I want you to imagine that the one that was in Egypt was even worse. God said it would never be seen like that again. Can you imagine the sky is black and they're, they're everywhere. They're all around you and how awful it must have been. And for them, it was a sign of judgment, just as in Deuteronomy 28 and Jeremiah 51. It was a sign of judgment for, for people who did things against God. But when finally Pharaoh sees all of that and sees what is happening to what would have been an economy not only based on slavery, but based on agriculture, agriculture that the slaves provide or work, he finally decides to repent. But later... He got stubborn again. Now, we understand that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But have you ever been like Pharaoh? Have you ever said, Lord, if you will just make me well, I promise, I promise I'll never miss church again. If you will make me well, Lord, I will read my Bible every day. I'll quit picking on my sister. I'll be nice to other people. I'll become a a missionary in the Congo. I'll do whatever. I'll be baptized. Whatever. I'll do it. And then after just a little while and you get over that weird or bad feeling, then we go back to being the people we were before. So Pharaoh, God hardening his heart, but at first he's saying, please just plead with your God. Please plead with Yahweh not to, to do this, to let us alone, to relieve us from this pain. But you know what happened? He got stubborn again, and so more plagues will come. And in Exodus chapter 10, in verses 21 through 24, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all of the, all of the land and of Egypt for three days. They did not see one another, nor did anyone rise from his place for three days, but all the people of Israel had light where they lived. Then Pharaoh called Moses and said, Go, serve the Lord. Your little ones also may go with you. Only let your flocks and your herds remain behind. So Pharaoh is almost convinced, right? He's almost convinced when all this darkness comes upon them but he's not going to let them go completely. The people can go, but they cannot go without their herds and their flocks, which would be their economy. And so he's not completely letting them leave. 
because he thinks that they need to come back, obviously because he's enslaved them. So what's happening in this passage? What is it that's occurring? What is God doing? Because, you know, it's not just like God just said, hey, I think I'll come up with ten plagues. What would be good? Well, we could have frogs, and we could have locusts, and we could have hail and boils. No, every one of the, of the plagues, they're meaning something, and they are demeaning mostly to the religion of Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. They are somehow getting at Egypt in a way that is destroying them in every way they can imagine. Socially, economically, mentally, religiously, in every way. So now with this thing of darkness. You remember in Genesis 1, before God created the world, there was darkness, which is a representation of chaos. The world was without form and void. Without God, there is chaos. Without light, there is chaos. And God was showing Egypt and us today what the world would look like without him. You ever notice people who don't know God sometimes seem to live in a chaotic state? People who abuse their relationship with God or misinterpret their relationship with God often live in chaos. And God is saying, with darkness, there is chaos. With me, there is light, like was on the, on the Israelites, the Hebrews. There's light, and there is a way. The Bible says that the darkness could almost be felt. You've been in that kind of darkness for a little while, haven't you? Have you ever been in a cave that was totally dark, where they've turned out the lights? They don't do that much anymore because of insurance reasons. But where it was totally dark, or maybe you were in a house or where there were absolutely no light coming. There was no light coming from the moon or the sun, no light at all. And it lasts one day and two days and three days, and it must have been awful and scary. Well, there's more going on here with this darkness Ray, the sun god, was one of the major deities of Egypt. And God, Yahweh, is saying, Ray, you are nothing. And God is saying to the Egyptians, Hey, your god, Ray, is nothing to me. He has no power like me. And even more than that, the pharaohs were known as sons of Ray. And what Pharaoh was hearing is, you are nothing, Pharaoh, compared to my power, the power of Yahweh. Well, the Bible goes on in Exodus 10, verses 21 through 24, and says, But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let them go. Then Pharaoh said to him, Get away from me. Take care never to see my face again for one day, for, for, for on the day you see my face you shall die. And Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. Pharaoh had no idea what God had planned. Seems like Moses was maybe in on it a little bit here. But Pharaoh doesn't know. That's all right, Pharaoh. I don't need to see you again because I'll be acting or God will be acting away from here where I don't need to talk to you anymore. So in Exodus 11, one chapter over in verses 4 through 10, so Moses said, Thus says the Lord, About midnight 
I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn even of the cattle. There shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there has never been, nor will there ever be again. But not a dog shall growl against any of the people of Israel, either man or beast, that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all these servants shall come down to me, and they shall bow to me, saying, Get out, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in hot anger. And the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not let the people of Israel go out of his land. Now, there are several things going on here. I hope you see that God is not against modern-day Egypt. That's not what he's saying here. But in many ways, in this example of something that really happened thousands of years ago, that Egypt kind of represents the way it's all going to end for those who aren't in God, in Christ. And Israel is there representing what it's going to be like for those in Christ, that God is going to protect them and God is going to help them. And God is showing his will and showing his miracles by what happens in Egypt. Egypt earlier had tried to wipe out all of the Hebrew children. You remember that? Remember Moses in the basket? <clears throat> Excuse me, Pharaoh was going to kill all the little boys that were born in Egypt. You remember that? Remember that? Miriam had hidden the little baby in the, in the Nile River and the baby Moses goes off to live in the palace and be raised by the princess. And all those great things that happened that God was working all along. But Egypt was the one who wanted to wipe out all the little boys. But now God will wipe out the firstborn of Egypt. And you see that about cattle. It sounds kind of funny, doesn't it, that the cattle were in on this somehow well it wasn't because the cattle were bad but it was because egypt worshiped them and so what they're hearing is yahweh god jehovah god is greater even than your cattle god he's greater than your frog deity he is greater than than your other deities that you worship like like the sun God is greater even than your cattle deity, that God is above all. And then when you start talking about the firstborn dying, it was supposedly this God, Oswius, or how, that's how we say it in the Texas panhandle, Oswius, the God of the dead was not in control because the God of the dead was the one who could decide when a person died or lived. But now what we're learning is they can't, he can't decide that. God, Jehovah, Yahweh, is the one who determines that. And so just as we sing in that song tonight, what they must have been saying and what you have seen in Scripture, there is no God like Yahweh. There is no God like Jehovah. 
You know, that when I hear those words, when they're said over and over, what they do is they make me kind of the hair goes up on my arms and I think about what it must have been like in Egypt on that night. And as these miracles would happen from one small house to another all the way up to the palace of Pharaoh himself, you must have heard mother say to father and father to mother and to child and everywhere, there is no God like Yahweh. There is no God like Jehovah. Because everything we have known, every God that we have had has been defeated by Yahweh. That Yahweh is above all. That it is Yahweh that we follow. Now Egypt has been destroyed economically and morally and socially for hurting God's people. There's something very powerful about how the world ends when you hear those words. That those who don't know Christ will not find a place with Christ. Instead, they'll find a place against God with Satan and with Satan's demons. But God will protect his people, that God will give hope and a home to his people. And there's something so incredible about that. So here's what I ask you tonight as we end. How do I respond to God's love? Because you see what God was doing here was showing the love that he has for his people because it all went back to that covenant that he had made with Abraham centuries before. When God had said, Abraham, I'll make you into a great nation, into the Hebrew nation, and I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. God's love was so overwhelming and God was showing that to the Hebrews, to Israel saying, I love you this much. And now Jesus, who came and lived that perfect life on this earth and then hung on the cross and said, I love you this much. I gave my life and then was resurrected from the dead. What am I going to do with God's incredible love? For some of that, maybe it means to recommit our lives to Jesus. And for others of us, maybe it means to be baptized into Christ. A couple of people in the last week or two that, that I know of have been baptized into Christ. You can do the same thing. You come into God's love. Your sins are forgiven. Receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Become a part of his kingdom. It's incredible. Email us at elders at mcoc.org. Elders at mcoc. Org. Let us know if it's private or public, and we will make sure that we find a way to help you. Let's pray tonight. Dear God, we need you. Father, we realize that sometimes we look more like Pharaoh than we look like your son, and we are so sorry. Sometimes, Father, we're the stubborn ones, not because you're hardening our hearts, but because we're hardening our own. And tonight we want to love you even more than we have in the past. We want you to be our God. In Jesus' name, amen.